and welcome to Eat the Damn Cake. I am Carly. And I'm Maddie. And we are back at it again after a week that we had off, but we still delivered a podcast for you all because we don't take days off. No days off here. Um, But it it feels like a while since we've been in the office and we are so excited to be back this week. If you have not listened to our podcast yet, we are about inclusivity in the fitness industry and just kind of no matter where you're at in your fitness journey, everyone is welcome. Invite your friends, invite your family, invite your pets. Here we are. We're on a journey. Buckle up. <laughs> Every week, Carly's description of this podcast changes. And I just wait to hear what it's going to be. And this week, it was in- invite your dogs, invite your cats, invite your grandparents, invite Everyone's everybody. In- and it's no, it's true. But it's just funny because I wait to see what's Carly going to pull out well, I today. See if you're going to jump in and it's do the never- description. I thought you were going to be like, Maddie, tap it on in. And you're like, it's just about like we literally have been recording for one year. We know what it's about, but we give you a dis- different description every week. But it's all around the same thing. It's like we're tiptoeing around the same. <laughs> well, this week we are so excited because we have a very, very special guest on. I know him as one of my writers, but his name is Conrad Dresdale. And we are going to start the conversation by talking about college athletics and then about how he's in grad school for social work and how he used fitness as a tool through recovery. So super excited to dive on into this podcast. Welcome, Conrad. Hey, guys. Hello. So much for me. Of course. We just kind of want to welcome you and get you going right away. Where did you grow up? Where'd you go to school? What's so, your mom's name? What's your maiden name? Uh, <laughs> Marcella. First of all, it's all my internet passwords. So. Oh, okay. <laughs> You're like, ah. <laughs> everyone, everyone knows now. Yeah. Um, no, I grew up outside New York City in Bronxville, New York, which is part of Westchester County. Okay. Um, and yeah, my mom is Marcella. Love uh, her. Sweet angel. <laughs> Marcella, I already love her. Is she Italian? No, actually, she's Irish. So I'm, oh. I'm Irish and Scottish. Very love nice. Russian too. Oh, oh wow. Um, yeah. Nice little mix. We're a little Irish, I think, and yeah. Scottish. We have a little Scottish in us. No, my dad. Dad, dad. always said a fifth of Scotch. Uh, no, 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 no. We actually do. <laughs> I don't think no, so. I promise, we actually do. <laughs> I thought. I think that was a joke, like a fifth of Scotch, because it's like. And no. Yeah. Okay. Well, maybe. Well, uh, yeah. So I grew up there. I went to Rye Country Day, which is like a private school in Rye. Um, Rye, New York. Yeah, Rye, New York. Yeah. (laughs) Don't know what just Um, happened there. And yeah, I went to college to play football. Where'd you Uh, play? Played at Bowdoin. Bowdoin. Oh my God, Bowdoin. So fancy. Polar bears. Did you have fun? Yeah. Well, my freshman year, I actually hated it because coming from outside New York, I did like, I was in the boonies. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Maine. And then it took me like three, literally three years to like really appreciate like the beauty of Maine. Yeah. Like, I was going to say, Bowdoin's in Maine, right? Yeah. 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 It's up there, right? It's like 20 it, minutes it, north it, of Portland. It's, yeah. yeah. It's like an hour and a half once you cross the border. And it's oh, so wow. cold, right? It's like freezing it in the winter. I personally love it because I run so hot. So Re- you yeah. like, you like the cold. You, well, yeah. you're not going to love this room. This, this room, room is, is oh, yeah. an incubator. <laughs> um, every time I walk in here and I think, oh, I'll be at a good temperature. I'm, I'm wrong. Yeah. But yeah. And then this fur tablecloth doesn't help it's like on, a your blanket on your legs. <laughs> um, so what did you study in undergrad? So it's totally irrelevant to my entire life, but I studied poli sci. That's okay. Oh, wow. I mean, that's um, awesome. But 
Yeah. Most people at this point in our lives, we don't really like me and Carly are lucky. We're in what we went to school for, but I think 98% of the people I know are not. Yeah. Freshman so. year, I saw a professor who looked just like Steve Carell and I <laughs> love was really big in the office and I was like, this guy's awesome. So I just took all of his classes and, and then, it was, yeah, by a sophomore year, I'd already finished half. Oh my God. Oh my <laughs> was he similar to Michael Scott? Yeah. He had like the, uh, not similar to Michael Scott, but he had the same mannerisms. Okay. okay. Well, we love yeah. that. Yeah. So it was probably a very entertaining class yes, as well. Absolutely. We love that. Oh my yeah. gosh. I love Michael Scott. I love the office. <laughs> we are on, like, when they took it off office. Netflix, that was probably one of my darkest days. But it's on Peacock now for anyone that was watching. Yeah. <laughs> If you have Xfinity, you still got it. Um, so after you went to Bowdoin, uh, where did you go? What did you do? So when I was in college, I started a, a music blog, which Ooh. was called Fresh on Campus. Um, I started it my sophomore year with my freshman year roommate. Um, That's so cool. Who was a comp sci major. Okay. And uh, this was like 2008. I'm like, a lot older than you guys. And this was like when like Drake and Kid Cudi mm -hmm. and all these rappers came out. So like, I'd be like in the stacks of Bowdoin and like listening. Yeah. To like trying to like discover like datpiff.com, which I think still exists. I think it, I've heard of it, but yeah. I don't know if it still does. Um, Probably does. And I would just like listen to Drake and Drake's like my favorite artist. Just he loves Drake. I, I love play Drake it for so him much. in class whenever he's yeah. in class. <laughs> so, so I was like that annoying guy in like the communal living space in my freshman dorm who mm -hmm. like never wore headphones. I love that um, though. Because I thought my music taste was the best. So obviously everyone, <laughs> everyone has to, yeah. yeah. Um, but luckily uh, one of my roommates really liked what I was playing. And then we would just kind of like banter. And like, I was like an awkward, you know, 18 year old. So I was like, just trying to break the ice anyway. Cause yeah. Um, as we all do. Yeah. Still do. <laughs> I still do. <laughs> and he was like, dude, like this Drake guy's really sick. Like you should like make a website called like musicgenie.com. Like, cause you're like are predicting all these sick songs. And I was like, uh, well, first of all, dude, I'm in football practice and this is like my mini escape at when I'm like studying. So yeah. no way. Uh, fast forward to sophomore year. It's like my winter break. And he finally convinced me to start this website. Um, and we got up to like, 12,000 unique visitors. What? Uh, we got featured on the Today Show. We were on a, a segment about how how teenagers are consuming music through oh blogs. Oh my gosh. With like pigeons and planes. We did a show for um, Mac Miller at Colby College. What? We I love RIP. Mac Miller. I know, rest in peace, love I've been Mac Miller listening song. to the spins on repeat recently. I just yeah. like love that song so much. He's a really He's, sweet guy. He is really? He? Oh. Yeah, it's very um, sad. So, so sad. sad. Um, He's, uh, Colby, where's Colby? Colby's also in Maine. Okay, so isn't that did you do stuff at like other colleges often or try to get stuff so going? we try to promote some. So when we launched the website, I like that winter break, I like just like spread word of mouth with all my buddies when we were all at home. Amazing. And they were, you know, at schools all across the country. Right. So we, we like promoted, which meant at this time, just like paying for parties and just like creating this like big banner. Yeah. That said Fresh on Campus behind it. That's cool. so cool. And we did a couple in New York City, like during the summertime. That's was so but, awesome. But it was sick. It was like this hobby that I just did in my free time. And I was like, Oh, this, like this could be a career. Yeah. Um, and so that I think going into my junior year, I was like, Oh, maybe I want to do like music. And so I interned at uh, Republic records. Okay. Part of universal. Nice. Which was like so different than, you know, talking to these like college rappers, you know, mm -hmm. like we walked in and like Nicki Minaj is like walking behind me with her like massive ass. And, I'm and like, you're like, what yeah, this is, is like, happening? Oh my God. Yeah. And like just, I thought like, that was fake. <laughs> like I didn't think that was real. <laughs> and, um, 
it was like this really kind of interesting moment where I was like exposed to the music industry and I was like, oh man, this is really what I want to do. Like, like my, what I like to do in my free time could be a full career. Yeah, um, totally. And so I interned there over the summer and was like, okay, I want to do this again. And then we did another, you know, fresh on campus, kept growing. And I like really wanted a full-time job. And I talked to Monty uh, Lippman, who's the um, president of Universal uh, wow. Public. And he um, he called me Lamb Chop because <laughs> I'm a bigger guy and I like play college football. And, uh, <laughs> that was your nickname, yeah, Lamb Chop? Like there was one time we did a showcase and it was uh, Ray J came in to do um, oh my Sexy gosh. Can I. Like it was like when that song came out, I and love that. we sexy uh, can uh, mm. <laughs> oh, we and, don't have the rights to that. Sorry. <laughs> and uh, I remember Monty was like, "Lamb chop, like come do something." And Ray J's like, "Who's lamb chop?" And like, oh my gosh! So, so it must have been surreal for you because yeah. you're in college and you're surrounded by these A-list celebrities. Yeah. That That's... are just like producing music in front of your eyes, and it's a hobby that you like. You could have only dreamed of meeting these people, and then you're in it with them. Yeah. That is so cool. So did you play football all four years or did this take over? No, I played football all four years. You did? That's amazing. Yeah. What, what position did you play? I was an offensive guard. Wow. Yeah, did you love it? I, it was a grind. It yeah. was. It's day I, in, day out. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I'm so happy that I had that experience because I don't know if playing like a college, like you guys were college athletes, yeah. like that experience of that grind with a team, like you can't, that's like life lesson to say. I completely, I feel like whenever people ask us, did you like it? I'm like, that's a loaded question. Yeah. I really loved the fact that I did it and I didn't dislike it while I was doing it, but it was a lot. I, I had someone ask me, would you ever do it again? Mm -mm. No. And it's so funny. Whenever you ask a college athlete that usually their answer is no. It's because you're a a because we athlete know. student. You're, an, you're, you're, you're not a student athlete. You're an athlete student. Yeah. Athletics are top and yeah. then everything trickles underneath it. Even yeah. though coaches are like, no, it's not. I'm like, well, I probably would have gotten m maybe a C plus instead of a C minus. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying, I'm not shooting that high, yeah. but <laughs> probably would have done a little better <laughs> on my exam. I think for me, cause I like, wasn't someone who like was like a star, like out the gate. Like I like fought for playing time my entire four years. Basically. Yeah. Same. And like, it like really showed me what hard work was. Like you can just like literally work your ass off yep. every single day, try as hard as you can and you still won't get a starting job. And it's so not like guaranteed that day and day of grind and like waking up, like I'm, you know, I'm sure you guys had like 5am. Yeah. yeah. Like, um, like imagine like January 24th, Brunswick, Maine, ice cold. You wake up at five in the morning and you're just like huddled up knowing you have to run, like do like suicides and sprints you know, outside you grow up in like a bubble like where the tennis courts were oh. and like you literally are just by yourself just walking towards this light which is literally hell because mm -hmm. you know what you have to do like, i there. know what i'm walking yeah. into right See now thoughts you and your thoughts just walking in That's, i remember that yeah. walking to the pool in the winter or being the only ones on campus during intercession yeah. while everyone's home enjoying their families you're just walking we alone on to, campus we got to go home for one week during eight days winter break well, winter sports is the worst because the it's worst in both semesters. It, yes. Yeah. Like, spring, yeah. like well, at least we had a little bit of a break. Yeah. No, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Horrible. I loved it. <laughs> kind of. Bob, we Bob. love you. I know. We know Bob, our, swim our, our swim coach listens and he's always like, what the hell? And we're like, we love you. We loved doing it. 
but he always would joke and be like, I can't wait till, till I see you do masters one day. I'm like, you will never catch me back in the pool. Like I will never Doing laps. <laughs> like I did coach for a little while, but that was as close I would get to the, yeah. Dip my toes in. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So this brings you to graduating college, right? Yes. Yes. What happens when you graduate college? So when I graduate college, I move to New York City. And also just like as a prerequisite to before I graduated, I got diagnosed with stage two testicular cancer. So oh I had to actually take an academic suspension or academic um, like time Leave. of absence. Yeah. yeah. Uh, my senior spring. Because literally shit. I discovered it like the winter going to my last semester of college. And like, oh my gosh. Like, if you guys remember at least for me, I felt I was like such an asshole. Like my senior year, like my world was so small. Like all I cared about, like I wasn't thinking about jobs or anything. No. Like I was just like, see, like spring weekend. Like yeah. it was just oh. like my world was like my. And then yeah, obviously something like this like rocks your world. Yeah. yeah. Um. I mean, you're still so young at that yeah. point too, where it's like it's scary. Stage two. That's stage scary. Two. Um. But yeah, so I I like I tried to go back, and then once I got the official diagnosis, I was like, okay, well. I have to have the surgery or do yeah. chemo. Yeah. Um, so I ended up just like taking the semester off. Mm -hmm. Had ha I had a procedure in March, which was like, I have like a scar from my uh, sternum to my belly button. It was like, they ripped out my entire lymphatic system. Oh my gosh. Um, from like in my stomach. Cause that's where the cancer grows. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was like a period in between, like when I knew I was getting that surgery and um, when I got it where I was like, I might die. Like I, I like my sense of mortality like was insane. And because I was home, I was in New York city and I kind of was given, like, I had this, like just card I could pull, like, yep. you know, I'd go into the city. I like really got into like the club scene mm -hmm. and, you know, got to know like managers and people who ran these clubs. and was just like, I just want a table here. And my parents were like, okay, you know, cause I wasn't making any money. So like, right. I'm like, Hey mom and dad, I might die. So like, let me like spend the weekend at the standard. Yeah. And I like got a taste for like the nightlife of, of New York with this like insane, like literally YOLO attitude. Mm -hmm. And, um, wow. so that March I like had that procedure and like, thankfully, um, it all went well. And I've been in our mission from cancer for, over six years now. Hell thank yeah. God. Um, thank God. But like once I like had that mindset after that happened, it's like, okay, I'm okay. So like what now? Like, yeah, I, like, I, I couldn't turn that off for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. Like I was like, I was like, I thought like I was living every day as if it was my last and like in, in like a very toxic way in terms of like drinking and using drugs. And I was, and I was like, I think this is cool. So I graduated, get a, um, a job and, uh, I moved into the city right away. What part of the city did you move into? Murray Chill. Nice. Oh, wow. Yep. Murray oh. Chill, classic. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so I was like a weekend warrior for mm -hmm. a long time. Like, you know, I worked, I got a job at Sony Music doing business development. So which cool. Which was kind of cool. This was like, we do another podcast about this, but it was like when streaming just was coming out and I was working with like the legal team to kind of hammer out how much, uh, how to monetize, um, artists and like how much they're getting paid for streaming services. Wow. Yeah. Working with beats like pre the Apple. Oh um, my purchase, gosh. Which cool. Wait, that's so cool. Um, but anyway, so I was a weekend warrior going back to So you were like nine to five you during the week. Yeah. Nine to five during the week. And like, I kept it so clean during the week because I wanted to justify to myself. I could just go out. So yeah. literally, Monday, Monday, I'd probably be hungover from the weekend. So I would go to 
work, I would print out articles that I wanted to read, go mm-hmm. to the Equinox, try to get on the treadmill, and then just read all these articles in the uh, steam room oh and, make my, and, and make myself uh, stay until I finished all the articles so I could sweat out all the drugs and alcohol. Oh, my And gosh. then Tuesday, I would do... Uh, usually do a soul cycle in the morning, yep. 6 a.m. Also, just want to shout out Charlie Atkins, oh, uh, ex soul cycle instructor. Yes. She's my girl. We talk, Did we talk about her? No, we talked about. Someone asked us to review Lay Sweat, and we were like, really? There's nothing. Like, it's great. She's like, she's yeah, awesome. She's like, she's very knowledgeable. She has a great app and has great resources. So yeah, yeah we we looked it up. So we didn't end up like diving too much into. Oh, it we were talking about her. Yeah. yeah, yeah. She's the reason why I really love spin. Like she was like a beacon. This like really dark time. So shout out Charlie. Oh, I love um, that. And so I'd do a class on six, at six a.m. and then I would like feel better. Yeah. The day on Tuesday and then Wednesday. It was like nothing ever happened. And then Thursday would buy the drugs. So then you forget this, the like feeling of that hangover by Wednesday. And you're yeah. like, I'm ready to go for the weekend. Yes, absolutely. And then like Thursday, buy the drugs. Friday, be like, you know what? I know I'm going to go big tomorrow, especially at this time of year, like mm-hmm. fall, college football, yeah. Yeah. day drinking. Huge. And I was like, I'm just going to take it easy tonight. And then as soon as I woke up in the morning. Saturday. As soon, yeah. As soon as Saturday came and there was those. 12 a.m. kickoffs, like I was the first one in the bathroom and I literally went all day until like 6 a.m. the next oh, morning and then gosh. would just like, I had a prescription like for anxiety medication mm-hmm. that I lied about because it was a hangover cure Yeah, and it would take that and that would basically just like cut out my hangover and would just be like comatose on oh a couch. My gosh. And all, then all day Sunday? All day Sunday and then would wake up Monday and then this whole cycle would start again and I literally did that. That was my life for six years, like for six years, six years. So when I was 22 till I was 27, so maybe five years. Was there a point in those six years that you started to feel like, okay, this is no longer serving me? Or did it feel like in, in those six years, that's exactly what you wanted to be doing? Like you would look forward to that at that point. So it was weird because I would obviously look forward to it, but Mm -hmm. it was the only Coping strat. Looking back on it now, yeah. it's so easy to like. Re- I've like reexamined my entire life. Yeah. Why <laughs> I'm doing what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So it's easy now to see that that was very much the only coping mechanism I knew, and mm-hmm. I knew that it worked. So I didn't want it. Why would I do anything else? Because it was working for me. Right. Yeah. Um, and I wasn't seeing consequences at that Correct. time. Um, but you know, I knew probably like a couple years in that you know my mom is in recovery. She's 12 years sober. Um, my mom's side of the family is just like. Like they say, like like alcoholism doesn't run; it gallops. Like yeah. it's just a lot of people. And my mom was the first one in my family who got sober with the help of my dad. And that was like kind of like a turbulent time when yeah. I was a kid. And like I grew up, and would like come home, and like my mom's like sponsor from Alcoholics Anonymous would be there. This like eighty year old woman, and I didn't really think about it at the time. I was right. like, oh, this is just mom. And she's better. Yeah. And um, you know, just go about my life. And so like I knew that it was a problem, but at the same time, like. I didn't know how to operate life any other way. Absolutely. But so, you probably also looked at it as like, I don't have a problem. I'm not drinking every day to survive. I'm not waking up and like turning to alcohol. Totally. So you were like, I can go five, six days being sober. And then I just go all out for one day. So I don't have a problem. Totally. Yeah. Like, I yeah. Look, like there's people who are partying just like I was. Um, I, I was holding a job, was working at my job. Like I had all these things in my life that I could point to yeah. to be like, I'm not that bad. Yeah. You're like, I'm totally functioning and like I, I can do it. And do you feel like, of course, now looking back, it's very easy to like 
like you said, dive in and see, did you think you were addicted to that lifestyle at that point? Yeah, it was a, it was, so not only was I just like drinking, using drugs, but I was going to clubs. I was spending probably between 15 and $25,000 a weekend. What? Yeah. My heart just dropped. I'm like, I've never seen that much money in my life. Yeah. I, I always say if someone sued me, I just go bankrupt because yeah. I have nothing to give them. Like I would, I, like I knew managers at clubs and I would have my own room and they'd let me ox cord. They'd be like, Hey, this oh, is your room. We'll gosh. give you all the booze you want. And I'd be in there and it'd just be like this party from 11 PM until seven. So it's, you it knew, dark. you knew a lot of people. Yes. So it made that sense of that lifestyle a little bit more easy to grasp or like easy to get into because you had that gateway to like, be like, I don't have to like fight my way to get into these clubs. Cause I already knew these people. Totally. And it was a ego thing too. So at the time, like my family owns Riddell helmets, like the football. Helmets. Yeah. That's like my family's. Business. Oh my gosh. That's oh. amazing. And uh, at that time, my dad's private equity firm owned Harry Winston jewelry. Oh, and through that. I like got, I was like rubbing shoulders with a bunch of celebrities yeah. and they, because I was spending so much money at these clubs, they wanted to hang out with me. So, you know, I'm, I've signed too many NDAs, but, uh, yeah. there's a lot, I've had a lot of, you know, I was having these kind of very surreal, like Life for my experiences. memoir experiences, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, because I was the party guy yeah. in these circles. And you don't want to lose that. Like once, once you're the party guy and you're labeled as like this guy who like comes in and spends money and like yeah. it's flashy and fun and like the life of the party, you don't want to lose that image. You're like, I don't want to be lame one weekend and just like be like, no, I'm out no. this weekend. And you probably didn't have many friends being like, let's lay low this weekend. Like let's take a weekend off because if you're the, if you're the guy with the table and the rooms, like Everyone. your friends are the one that's like. I think it's, you know, when you're in a cycle of something that might be toxic to you, it's easy to try to rationalize it because like you said, you were like, I didn't think of anything of it because it was just my coping mechanism of what I knew worked and I wasn't trying to change it. So like, what was the point in which you were like, what was the breaking point and was your girlfriend involved in it? The turning point. Was she also partying as much as you were, or? No, never. She, I mean, she drank, but she never used drugs, um, at all. And, uh, but yeah, no, the, the kind of the breaking point was like 2017. Um, a couple years ago. Yeah. I remember, uh, it was a Tuesday and at this point I just, I had felt so numb, like this cycle had gone on for so long and like, you know, being hung over on Sundays ended up just like partying on Sundays for NFL and then not going to work on Mondays. And then it was like, you know, partying on Thursday night football and then not going to work on Fridays. And okay. like, it just like went from this one day to like my life just became unmanageable. It's like consumed. Yeah. And I remember just one Tuesday, I went to dinner in the city with my dad, you know, after work, like I just met up with him mm-hmm. and it was like super normal. And then I like called a bunch of my friends and was like, Hey, like the Knicks are playing now. You guys want to like go to one Oak and like see some of those guys. And everyone's like, dude, it's a Tuesday. And you know, in December, like, yeah. you know, we, like no one wants to go out on a Tuesday. And I was like, okay, fine. And I, you know, bought a lot of drugs and, and started drinking and I went on a six day bender and I didn't fall. I didn't go to sleep for five days and I woke up, um, basically after I like ran out of drugs and money mm-hmm. and like woke up on my couch with like calls from my therapist being like, Hey Conrad, just want to let you know if you have any drugs or any like baggies or anything, please flush them down the toilet because NYPD is breaking down your apartment door right now. And oh I was like, what? 
because I had what I used to do is I'd just like block every person's number that I cared about because I wasn't trying to talk to anybody. Mm-hmm. And um, well, did you almost like did that in a like mechanism where you wanted to protect them from seeing you yes. like that? Yeah, I wanted yeah. to separate that life, even though at this point it had gotten so bad where it, it was not to do separate so. anymore. Yeah, um, and yeah, and then the NYPD busted into my apartment. It was like a wellness check, and uh, you know. The, my poor doorman who I'd lived with for six years, like had to see me go in like the back of a, of a cop car. And then uh, I bas- essentially was like sectioned. You can't section people in uh, New York. But okay. The equivalent is like a, like a psychiatric evaluation and just make sure I was okay for like a day. Um, who Did someone call the police on you or did yeah, they? Yeah, my parents. Oh, yeah, my okay. Parents so I was going to say, I feel like that has to, in order to have a wellness check done, someone has to call them. Yeah. I mean, so. they hadn't heard from me for a week. And and that's so scary on, as on a parent. that yeah. Tuesday night, what caused you to go into that full spiral bender? That's the scary thing. Absolutely nothing. The thing about addiction is that it's not like you, you, um, you have the impulse to drink and use drugs all the time everywhere. It's just when you do, you, you cannot stop. It's called an allergy. Like you, once you pick up a drink or once you do drugs, then you're just off the race. There's no like off switch. There's no off. Switch. There's not like, Oh, you know what? I think I'm going to, I'm going to yeah. mix in a water. Like I'm going to, no. I'm going to go home early. Like it's balls to the wall. Okay. You just can't stop. It's not like it, it doesn't necessarily have to be everyday thing. Right. So that's a crazy thing. Like, in yeah. my head, I was rationalizing, oh, it's a Tuesday night. It'll be like my normal Thursday or whatever. Like, I'll be a little hungover the next day. But obviously, that's not what happened. No. Um, wow. And so after that, after you left with the NYPD, after that happened, was that kind of like where you sat with it? And you were like, okay, I feel like I need help. I need to, like, figure this out. No. So from there, it was like this. <laughs> He's like, no. <laughs> it, it, no. It was a 16 month uh, fluctuation. So at that point, it was my ultimatum for my family to you need to go to see treatment, get mm-hmm. help or, you know, we're done with you. Yeah. So I was like, OK, I'll take treatment. Went to a treatment center in New Canaan, Connecticut and um, was like, man, this is awesome. This is the first time I'd been sober in so long that like I was just like randomly crying and I was just like feeling these emotions that had been suppressing for years. For, yeah. And, like it was a you crazy must experience. Have felt unbelievable. Your body must have felt so good. It was probably like yeah. an emotional detox yeah. too though. Cause you were just like, like you said, feeling all the feels that in that cycle you were repressing for so long, probably. Totally. And like, I was like in love with everybody. Like there was a girl in one of my <laughs> rehab groups who was like, Hey, are you okay? And I was like, yes, we are soulmates. Like, <laughs> yeah. this, is, like this person cares about me. Like, Oh, oh that's like, huge. Was, was your girlfriend in the picture at this time? She still? was. Okay. She yeah. was. Um, was she happy with like this decision? I mean, when yeah. you went on that six day bender, did she know where you were, what you were doing? Or? No, she didn't. And that was, you know, at that point she was very scared for me. Like everyone in my family was. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I went to this 30 day treatment and like felt feeling for the first time. It was 30 days. You 30 said 30 days. Okay. And then I got out and I went to, um, uh, a meeting in New York city and I was like, Oh, my drug dealers in New York city and literally left the meeting halfway through and went out and for another five days. So the, the exact thing that I did. And then I ended up, um, the person who I met in treatment, who was like my temporary sponsor, mm-hmm. um, 
reached out to me and was like, hey, man, come meet me in Connecticut. And so I took a train from New York to Connecticut and just, like, crashed on his couch and then went right back into that treatment center to the point that the people who were just got in when I was leaving, when they saw me come back, they were like, oh, my God, are you here to tell your story? Like, are you, like, going to show us, like, you oh know, all, like, the, all the things you've done? And I was like, no, I'm actually, I'm back here, you know? Yeah. Um, and, yeah, that ended up. You know, I was in there for six weeks and then uh, did a long-term care, um, like, treatment center in Jupiter, Florida. And then I moved out of that. I um, moved back to the city, and my girlfriend at the time had an internship. She was in business school, and Mm -hmm. she had an internship in New York City. So I probably needed extra care, but I convinced my parents, like, could we live together? You know, could I live with her? Yeah. And I... Um, moved in the city with her and I was in this weird place where I was trying to kind of reintegrate myself with my friends and I just it just felt weird after all that I'd been through yeah absolutely they're you're on different life paths at this point yeah well it's just everything that they probably are still doing you're like just can't be around that right now exactly yeah and um, I didn't have the tools to like you know uh, be around anything and at the same time though I didn't I was like going to meetings and had like a sober coach who was like meeting me and he would like take me to AA meetings and I was like oh, I don't know these people like I like didn't really like I created every single excuse to like compare myself to everyone who I saw in these meetings yeah. even though I was going to like meetings at NYU and it's a lot of younger people right really good meeting shout out that meeting um, <laughs> but uh, I was just like I gave myself every excuse I didn't want to um, be a part of it. And, um, I just got in like the worst, I, you know, I'm diagnosed with major depressive disorder and I was in the worst depression of my entire life. Like I couldn't get out of bed. I was in my couch. My sober coach was like, there was a Starbucks at the bottom floor of my building and was like, dude, just come meet me at the Starbucks. Yeah. And that was, that was my highlight of my day that summer. Mm -hmm. And I literally, I was literally walking around and I was like, Okay, so I'm either going to jump in front of this subway or I'm going to use drugs and alcohol again. And yeah. I'm too much of a coward to kill myself. So <laughs> I think, and I, I know exactly what's going to happen if I pick up drugs and drink again. Yeah. But I don't have another choice. Yeah. And this, I get, I, you know, I call my dealer and, and I pick up again and it's the exact same thing. It's six, like the five day. And at this time, I was doing this. Thing. I, was, I was using Hotel Tonight, shout out Hotel Tonight, yep. uh, free ads, uh, and just bouncing around. We don't do free ads. I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Only paid. Yeah, if you're on a drug bender, use Hotel yeah. Tonight. Uh, but, uh, yeah, just like bouncing around to the point that my parents hired a private investigator that hacked into my Uber, so they're always one step behind me. This is all from the memoir. And I ended oh. up crashing at a waitresses in the East Village's apartment for a while, and I remember we were just taking mushrooms and watching that movie Looper. And my, one of my counselors called me and was like, dude, what's up? And I was like, dude, Bruce Willis is young and old in this movie. And he was oh like, my God. <laughs> he was like, oh no. <laughs> He's like, get back yeah, here right now. Yeah. And, um, you know, uh, again, I, you know, I ran out of drugs and just like went back to my apartment and my sober coach was waiting for me there. And he was like, just like sitting on my stoop and was like, come on, man. And how, In that moment when you saw, like, you had just gone on your bender watching shrooms with a waitress, a random waitress, and you get back and you see your sober coach, did you want to kick yourself in the face? Were you just so, like, disappointed with yourself or were you more like, here we go again? I I can't describe the shame because I wanted to fight. It's, It's so hard to describe, like, addiction. Like, I want, like... 
I didn't want to do that. be in that place again. Yeah. But at the same time, like I started when I first started using, like I that's I didn't know anything else. Like I that was the only way I felt okay. Like people in recovery talk about this idea that they didn't have a blueprint to life. Like there's no like like I don't know how to navigate life. Yeah. And like the only times I feel normal and I'm not crawling out of my skin was when I was drinking using drugs. Right. And like that's when I felt okay to just be myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's why I didn't want to give it up. And at this point, um, my girlfriend at the time was back at school and she was uh this is how messed up it was. Uh she was back for her niece's birthday party, I think. And my when I you used, I was like, okay, so I'm going to start on a Tuesday and then I'm going to go for two days and then I'm going to have Thursday night and Friday to like, just like chill out. And then I'll be totally fine to go to uh, my girlfriend's niece's birthday party on, on Saturday. So that was you planning it, like premeditating. Totally. And, uh, that was, and we went to my parents' house in Bronxville and my girlfriend at the time met me there and she just like looked at me and, and she just looked more broken than I'd ever seen anybody. And she says, Conrad, I love you, but I, I, I just can't do this anymore. And it, it was that moment that I had like this, like call it spiritual experience mm-hmm. where I saw how broken she was and how much I had hurt her yeah. and saw like in the future that if I kept doing what I was doing, like just like substitute anyone that I care about well, in that same position. Yeah. So that feeling that, effect like that you had on someone and thinking about, okay, this could be my parents. This could be anyone else I love in my life. It's, it's probably a really scary feeling too. Cause you're like, holy shit. Like all of these things that I've been doing, I thought it was just me. me and a lot of those actions you like at the end of the day, you're like, okay, this is affecting other people. So after that, was that kind of like, that was it because like, I'm very much an empath. And so when like, when's your birthday? March on Pisces, March 3rd. <gasps> I'm a Pisces. Yeah, go fish. I was, when you, when you were an empath, I was like, he's definitely, I was like, you're definitely a Pisces. <laughs> yeah. I'm so um, glad to hear that. But I was like, this is like this, like that. She was the only person who I cared about more than drugs and I lost her. And so, in a way it was kind of the best and worst thing to happen to me because yeah. the fact that if she had stayed with me, it almost enabled me to be like, okay, well, Ex- you know, I must not be that bad. And exactly. Um, so it was the best and worst. It was, it was the worst day of my life, but it, it changed the course of my life. And I, at it, that point I was like going back to treatment and I went to treatment in Camden, Maine with all these just like wonderful Maine just like, it was like all these women who were like 40, like just like single moms. And they just like, I was really broken. Like I like, at that point in time, I thought I had like, I was, I was never going to find love again. And I had all these like women just like nurse me to health and be, yeah. you know, like, they were just want, like, like it's okay. mom, yeah, <laughs> it was, it was the best place I could have been in that moment. Okay. And, um, when I talked to my counselor at that time, I was like, I can't move back to New York when I leave here. Yeah. Um, I just, it's too many people, places and things for me. Like I want to give myself the best shot I can at staying sober. And she was like, okay, where do you want to go? I was like, well, maybe Boston, but not the city. Like I want to be in the suburbs because I don't want to be anywhere. Like yeah. I want to just like be Bumble, you know? Bumble yeah. Rock. And, um, I, she was like, okay, well I know this one sober house in Lexington, um, Massachusetts. And I was like, okay, that's, that works for me. And I went there this was like right the week after Thanksgiving. So almost a year um, ago and uh, actually just like literally a year 
like from this week, I went to the sober house in Lexington. Oh my God. Um, I stayed there for 10 months and I just like went there and I was just like, I don't know anybody, but I just like, was like, just tell me what I have to do. Mm-hmm. Like, cause I don't, cause clearly my way is not working here. Okay. And I just yeah. like went to meetings and like they took us to meetings in Boston and I was like, okay, yeah, like I, as an empath and someone who's like very introverted, like I didn't even attend my own birthday parties. Like literally my parents would have birthday parties as a kid and I would just kind of peek and then me and my best friend would go open presents and and you're like, oh I my can't. gosh, it's just too much. So I went from being that kid, yeah. who I still am at heart, yeah. um, to basically like introducing myself to, to strangers at 30 years old. I love that. Nine years old being like, Hey, how you doing? Like, are you, you know, what's going on? Like yeah. hey, your number, all this stuff, which yeah. is so uncomfortable, but the desperation I had was crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and that was over three years ago at this point. And, uh, you know, the, since then I started work. Well, I took like a year. My first year of sobriety was just like learning how to live life and yeah. really like doing a lot of work on myself and just like kind of, which is so hard to look at yourself in your, in your parts and your places and things that, you know, you did and, um, kind of like seeing the causes and conditions of why I acted the way I acted. Yeah. So it was just like a lot of, uh, introspection for like a year and therapy and, you know, the second year I was like, okay, well I should probably try to contribute to society again. And, um, you know, I started working at the sober house once I left and, which was awesome because it was like just helping other people who literally were in the same seats as I was. Yeah. I mean, there's nothing more rewarding than that. And then you must be so proud of people when you see them succeed and like move on to other places and, or, or, you know, work alongside you and help coach people through a really dark time in their lives showing like this will get better if you're open to it. Exactly. Like I just wanted, like, I remember how, scared I was and I, and to be like a representation of someone who has gone through that and made it okay. Like if I could give that kind of relief to some, anybody like that's everything. I think that's so important too. Cause it, I feel like seeing yourself in someone at like, you know, in any of those sober houses or any of those AA meetings, if you see someone that reminds you of like them of you, you're like, well, it humanizes you and it makes you feel like, okay, if they're okay, I can be okay one day. Like it'll be okay. So was it at that time when you moved out here to around like the suburbs of Boston that you found like fitness even more? Did did you get back into it? So my, my relationship with fitness had to, I kind of had to like reframe it. Okay. Um, because it's not as a place to like sweat it all out. Sweat exactly. out the drugs and stuff. Yeah, because I would do like I would double Soul Cycle classes with Charlie. She did a six thirty, seven thirty at the NoHo Studio, and I would go religiously, and I would be high as hell off Adderall, and because I was trying to catch that buzz until the weekend. Yeah, and so I was like trying to catch like a runner's high, and I was like just basically trying to. <laughs> you were like high everything. Anyway. everything. Your heart was probably like, please stop. Yeah, <laughs> like the Adderall, yeah. the exercise. Honestly. Yeah, my friends call me Mr. Life Alert because oh they gosh. were afraid that my heart was going to stop. Literally, yeah. that's yeah. scary. Yeah. Um, and so when I got sober and started doing fitness again, I was like, okay, well, it's never going to feel like – it's not going to feel like it did. So it took a while to get back into it. But spinning was like the first thing um, 
that I, that I tried to like reacclimate to because, yeah. um, you know, in like the heart of my addiction, I was, you know, probably 75 pounds lighter than I am now and, uh, not healthy. And, um, cause I wasn't eating. And so oh, I was yeah. like, okay, I want to like feel better about myself and feel better about my body and feel like I can do things and, and move. Um, but not try to put like those standards on myself that I, you know, I was very hard on myself. That you had like prior yeah. to getting back into it. And I think it's hard to get back into fitness, especially when you have this preconceived notion of what it used to be. And then when you're entering po like post becoming sober, you could be post like any, any life changing event. Totally. It can be really a different reframe. Totally. And there, I think accountability too is a big piece of it. Yeah. Like, part of the satisfaction was the workout and the endorphins, but also it was like, I told myself that I was going to this nine thirty class and then I did it. You know, like I followed through yeah. which something before I got sober was like, you know, I was a flake. So it's, it's one of those things where I feel like, do you think it helped you grow as well after your sobriety? Like after you came into it, you were like, okay, I'm growing as a person too. Cause I'm showing up for things that I'm going to show up for. Totally. And I think it basically, um, once I like reframed and re modeled my relationship with spinning and with exercise in recovery, like I could apply the things that I was doing to kind of things I was doing in recovery. Like when I, you know, am, am trying to ground myself like by meditation or going to a meeting or something like where exercise is the same thing for me. Like if I, like yeah. if I get very anxious and like, I'm not where my feet are, yeah. like if I'm just somewhere else, like if I'm, you know, just have to focus on doing a, sprint or, you know, a jog and, yeah. um, also spin two has been this thing where, you know, coming, loving music and, and working in music and totally like, like if I, I could not people who exercise, sorry, if there's anybody <laughs> who's listening, people exercise without headphones. I don't know. Psychos. How you do it. I don't yeah. know how you do it. Like that yeah. dictates how good my workout's going to be. hundred percent. Good music. Yeah. Um, always. And so like that combo in, in spin too is like awesome. It's well, like, that's it's why instructors are so important too. Like what, yes. which instructors play, I, their instructors music. I love the person as a person, but if I don't vibe with their music, sorry, it's not going to be, it's a no from me dog. You know yeah, what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I like, I, so I've taken like, what, like 60 bespoke classes, but I've, yeah. I'm, I'm like on like, hitting like 1300 soul cycle. Yeah. And, uh, I, like, I, I created like this, I call it my ratio and the ratio is, um, this is a little inside baseball when I take spin classes, <laughs> yeah. it's, um, the quality of the music to the choreography. So like Ooh. if the choreography is really hard, then the music has to be good. Cause yeah. like, you're not going to make me do some crazy shit <laughs> listening to, you know, like some slow ass, like yeah. something like, like horrible to. Yeah. Taylor Swift. Uh, you're like press, push, crunch, yeah. push. Yeah. And you're like, you're kidding. Like I yeah. want you to play music that makes me want to run through a brick wall exactly. full yeah. speed yes. and not be afraid. Yeah. Yes. yeah. <laughs> like so, that's what has yeah. happened. I know obviously you don't miss your past lifestyle in any way, shape or form. And you come to who you are as a person now sober and like living your best life. Do you miss the music industry? I don't. I honestly, I can say obviously hindsight's 2020. Yeah. yeah. Um, it's so amazing that you have found solace in, in fitness again and combined two and things like that peace. you love. Yeah. 
Like yeah. that music that literally sparked that original joy in college. And now you're here and you've found spin and it's something that really helps you clear your mind and catch your breath and be like, okay, like everything's good. Yeah. And I feel like a lot of people can feel that way too Absolutely. about fitness. Yeah. And do you know what part of social work you want to go into? Cause you're in grad school at BC for social work, which is incredible. I applaud you. Um, I do. do you know what area of social work you want to go into from post-grad? So the reason I went to um, get my MSW as opposed to like a, like a PhD or a PsyD is because one, it's only two years and you get back into the field faster. Okay. Um, and so for me, my kind of long-term goal is to be a therapist primarily for kind of, you know, young adults, adults um, suffering from addiction and like a dual diagnosis too, like either from trauma and also substance abuse. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and so that's like the long-term goal. So, so you want to give back. Yes, a hundred percent to the people who helped you. Yes. Yes. That's incredible. And I think that's very like beautiful that you're using some of those really dark times that you've had to go through in your life to help others. Like that's so commendable and amazing. And And the fact that you're even like you said, you're an introvert, but the fact that you were even willing to come on and share your story because you never know if someone else is going through something and might need someone to lean on, you know, yeah. or might need fitness or might need there, whatever it might be. There could be people listening right now that didn't realize they were in some sort of cycle like that totally, and needed to hear someone else's point of view or what someone else went through to be like, Oh, like this is, this is how I feel. This yeah. is what I'm going through. hundred percent. If you're somebody who, um, is doing Coke in the bathroom at during St. Patty's day and just, just come from stats and thought your heart was going to explode and you felt awkward about coming out of that bathroom. Cause you're, you know, in a, in a party pre-party, like, yeah, you know, I talk to me because yeah. I was in that position. I had a lot of friends from college. Absolutely. You know? and, and I think, you know, we don't touch upon it as much on this podcast, but I think it's, known a lot of people get into substance abuse in a casual setting and it doesn't seem like it's a problem if it's only this and there and here and there and it's not always but if it's something that you're relying on every weekend that that might be something that you need to look for further into you know yeah like and I think hearing it from someone that is on the other side of it and has navigated through it is so much more helpful than listening to someone that has not exactly And, you know, one last thing I'll say is that listening to my story just now, like clearly there were times I was not willing, even though going to treatment and stuff. So, you know, I'm not here to take anybody's inventory of what's going on in their lives. Like who am I to judge? Um, But at the same time, it's just like, you know, if, 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 if you want help and if you, if you're out there listening and you feel alone, you feel like no one's gone through what you have gone through in life. Like I can guarantee you someone is there to help you. Like yeah, there's absolutely. nothing, there's nothing that you have experienced that there's no one else in the world. who has been like me too, no matter yeah. how dark you think it is. Yeah. And like, I assure you that. Absolutely. And well, thank you so much. Yeah, that I, is so powerful. I mean, your story I'm sure speaks to so many people and you know, I think it's just amazing that you were 
able to come on here and that you were willing to come on here to talk about it with us, but also all of our listeners. Of course. Thanks so much for having me guys. Oh my gosh. Oh, you nice. are the best. You are the best and just such a ray of sunshine. So seriously, I'll always play Drake for you. Thank you so much. <laughs> I'll play loyal tomorrow morning. So, for you. I love loyal. <laughs> if, I love that song. if anyone does want to follow you just to see like what Conrad is up to or come take spin with Carly and maybe you'll be there. I know I've taken plenty of spin class with Conrad in class before um but do you want to share your instagram or any way for you yeah. um i'm not really posting on my grid but i'm at <laughs> rc drizzy amazing yeah. love that i like that drizzy drizzy drake yeah. just like I drake <laughs> <laughs> well thank um, you again everyone thank you so much for listening don't forget to rate review subscribe we will be sharing everything that you need to know, need to know about this podcast on our instagram eat the damn cake instagram or eat the damn cake podcast on instagram and yeah Love you all. Love you guys. Bye. Have a great day. Bye.